Sometimes parts of the instruments just slide away and you can't get them. And everything, everything just happens not as you want it to. But most of you, one of the rules of being a musician is that if you make a mistake, don't show anyone because no one notices anyways, except for like five of you. Except now all of you noticed because I told you. It's a cardinal sin of musicianship. And wait for this transition. In this sermon, I'm going to commit the cardinal, cardinal sin of being a pastor. Here's what I mean. I've only been here two years and one month. And I've already preached on this account in the Bible, Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to preach on the same thing or go back to the same story again because you really like it and it's really good for people because all of God's word is really good for people. Some people could say I'm committing the cardinal sin, but let me defend myself. Number one, let's be honest, you all forget things. And I know that because I forget things. I don't listen to myself preach, but I listen to other sermons, and I've listened to the same sermon three weeks in a row at various times in my life, and it's new and wonderful every time. So even though this was a few months ago, you've all forgotten. And number two, when I did this a few months ago, I told you the most important thing about this text. And the most important thing is this. I'm letting you think. It's that you are not the good Samaritan. The biggest point of Jesus' story is not that you are the good Samaritan and you are to go out and live a life for other people. Go rescue the people in need. No. The main point, the most important thing about this story is the fact that you and I are the ones who are dead on the side of the road, not just half dead, but in the story, we are dead on the side of the road, not because of robbers, but because of our sinful natures, our propensity to sin, and the sins that we do every single day. We are unable to help ourselves. We are dead and continually dying over and over again. And there comes the good Samaritan, the true good Samaritan, Jesus. The one who shouldn't have helped us because he was a Samaritan and, and we were Jews. The one who didn't just risk his life to take care of us, but the one who willingly gave up his life. He knew he would die. The one who, when he rescued us, he took our sins and gave us his perfection. He is the true good Samaritan, and that is the most important thing about this story. But there's also more, and that is what we are going to get into today. So, it begins with Jesus publicly teaching like he did so often and someone interrupts him trying to prove how good of a person he was. Luke 10 verse 25 says this, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that question reveals a few things about the man how he thinks about himself, and especially how he thinks about his relationship with God. And what he thinks is, what is pretty common, I got to do something to get something. Because that's how the world works, right? Students, if you want to get a good grade on the test, you got to have the knowledge. Maybe that means you have to study. If you want to get a paycheck, you got you to punch into work. If you want to get a driver's license, first it would be a good idea to learn how to drive. That's how it works. You do something to get something, and that's what the guy thought. And deep in our hearts, uh, 
we think the same thing about not just life in general, but how it works with God. You've got to do something to get something. Now, probably none of you sitting in this room would say, yeah, I've got to do good works to get eternal life because we're a Lutheran church, and so like, we hammer this home all the time. Getting to heaven is not about our works. We're rescued, and we get forgiveness and eternal life by grace. But a question that I know some of you ask on a regular basis because you tell me about it, and it's good that you do, and for others of you, it's probably nagging underneath the surface somewhere, is not what must I do to etern- inherit eternal life, but what do I have to do to make sure that God is happy with me on a day-in, day-out basis? Is he pleased with me? That's really the same question, but that's the one that we're more likely to wonder about when we're trying to fall asleep at night. So, Jesus answers the man. He doesn't correct him. Um, he, he answers him with a question. And it's interesting to see that he does this. Because we might say he's going to correct him right away, but he doesn't. Here's what happens. What is written in the law? Jesus replied. How do you read it? And this man is a law expert, so he knows the answer. He says, well, the law says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live forever, he's saying. Now that might be a surprising answer from Jesus because it seems like he's giving the man the stamp of approval. It's a surprising answer, but it's correct. Because think about it. If the man really did love God with all of his heart and all of his soul and all of his mind and all of his strength, and if he really did love his neighbor like he loved himself, if he did that perfectly, He would go to heaven. He wouldn't need a savior because theoretically, you don't need Jesus to go to heaven. You just have to be perfect. And I say theoretically because that's not true for any human being who's ever lived except for Jesus. But the man, Jesus said, he gave a correct answer. But there was an issue because this guy who everyone would have said he's a really good guy, even he realized somewhere deep in his gut that he wasn't perfect, And so he said this, verse 29, he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You see what he's doing? He's looking for a loophole, looking for an end around. He knew he hadn't done it perfectly and he thought, well, maybe if I kind of shift the definition of neighbor, then I can feel good about myself because I know I've done it well enough. And and we try to do that too. Because who doesn't like, whether you're in this room or you're at home or anyone in the world, who wouldn't like the phrase, love other people? Everyone agrees with that. That's why there's sweatshirts that say, be kind and love. Like everyone loves the idea of love. And you, you hear what God says, love other people, forget about yourself. And and like in your mind, you're on board with that. That sounds really good. Maybe you came into this room today, saw, oh, it's about a life lived for others. That's neat. I'm excited to hear about how we get to do that. And that's a beautiful thing, living for other people. But, but what, about, what about the person who just makes your life miserable? What about the person, what about the person you know, if you help them or you love them in a way that they need to be loved They are going to drain your time, your energy, your patience. It's just going to empty you out and you know it. What about that person? 
Or what about the person you know, you just know, and you're not even making a bad assumption, you know they are never going to do the same for you. Is it really possible to love all people? Jesus doesn't lower the bar. He doesn't let us off the hook. He didn't let the man off the hook. He tells a story. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going from Jerusalem down to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, also passed by on the other side. This is two church guys. Like the priest would be a pastor, the Levite would be a worker in the church, and they just ignored, passed by on the other side. You think, how in the world could they do that? Well, you've got to know two cultural things to help you understand. Number one is that in the Old Testament laws, um, a priest was not allowed to come into contact with a dead person unless it was someone from their own family. And for any Jewish person, if you did come into contact with a person who was dead, it meant that you were ceremonially unclean for seven days. You couldn't go to work. You couldn't be around people. You had to be by yourself. We're familiar with this now. It's kind of like going into quarantine. So the priest and the Levite knew if this half-dead guy turned out to be fully dead, it was going to make their lives at best just very inconvenient. That's thing number one. Thing number two is that this road between Jerusalem and Jericho, it was well known for robberies to happen all the time, for attacks like this to happen all the time. And as far as they could tell, the guy was still alive, but that meant probably that the thieves, the robbers, the people who beat him up were probably still around. And who knows? Maybe they were just waiting for a well-to-do person like a priest or Levite to come by and help him and then they'd pounce on him too. Or maybe the whole thing was just a trap. Now, I say those two things not to let them off the hook at all. They were completely wrong in not stopping. That is part of Jesus' point. But you understand a little bit better why part of the reason is that they would have just walked by on the other side. Um, but then comes the plot twist. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, in light of those cultural things, I said, that's all surprising. But the most surprising part of it is that the man who stopped was a Samaritan, and the man on the side of the road was a Jewish person. Now, some of you know this, some of you don't, but Samaritans and Jewish people at that time, they hated each other with a passion. Jewish people lived in the southern part and the northern part of Israel. Samaria was right in the middle. And what had happened was centuries earlier, the Jewish people had gone into captivity in Babylon. When they got back, they found out that some of the people who remained, they had intermarried with all the different tribes and people and people who didn't believe um, who God was and they weren't Jewish people. And God had special stipulations about that back then, which are no longer in existence. So the Jewish people, because the Samaritans weren't 100% Jewish anymore, the Jewish nation kicked them out. Even so much that when the Jewish people rebuilt the temple, they did not allow the Samaritans to help. You might say in retaliation, the Samaritans built their own temple then. 
And the Jewish people in response to that said, well, that's, that's horrible, that's wrong, that's apostasy. And it just went on so on back and forth like for hundreds and hundreds of years. It was like the thing where there's politics involved, there's religion involved, and every member of your family and all your friends, they've been hurt by people on the other side. I, you might say it's like the Sunni Muslims and the Shiite Muslims. They're, they believe similar things, but they're constantly at each other. There's just constant turmoil over and over and over and over again. And the Samaritan person, he did everything he could to help the Jewish guy. Why? Because unlike the priest and unlike the Levite and unlike the expert in the law that Jesus was talking to, the Samaritan was not thinking about himself. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to gain respect or street cred or trying to look good to others. It wouldn't have looked good to others for him to help the Jewish person. They probably would have looked down on him for helping the Jewish person. He wasn't thinking, hmm, would the, would the Jewish person do this for me if I were lying on the side of the road? He wasn't thinking that. He wasn't thinking how it would inconvenience the rest of his day or put him in danger or inconvenience him monetarily or months from now or weeks from now when he came back and checked. He, he wasn't thinking about how his life would be inconvenienced in the future. He just showed him selfless love. He saw a human in need, didn't think about himself, and just loved him. So the story comes to a close. Jesus asks the legal expert, he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor? Because remember the, the man's question, who is my neighbor? Who of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. That's God's word. Now, the man knew the law extremely, extremely well. That was not, that was not his problem. The problem was that he took God's law and all God's commands and all the people in the world and he just tried to see what he could get out of keeping it. He wasn't interested in keeping God's law to show praise to God or to help other people. He was thinking, what do I get? That was his question, right? What do I do to inherit eternal? It's the same way with us very often as well. Either we're slow to serve others because we're thinking, am I going to get anything in return? Um, how much is this going to inconvenience me? Do I have the time or the resources or the energy? And I'm not saying don't use wisdom, but those are the questions we often get stuck on. Or, and maybe this is even more often, we're quick to help other people, but we're doing it, and in the back of our minds or in the front of our minds, we're thinking, this is going to make me look pretty good. When I stop and I give up so much of myself to this other person, I'm going to look really good. They might, they might owe me something. I'm going to feel good about myself. Even if no one else notices, you do something to feel good about yourself or maybe to feel superior to others or for others to be impressed with you. This goes for individuals, and I'll tell you a secret, it goes for us as a church too. We're going to have a presentation right after worship today from Epworth Children's Home, especially talking about foster care. They're going to be our nonprofit of the quarter January, February, March next year. It would be so simple for us as a church to sit back and think, oh yeah, we've got a nonprofit of the quarter program. 
We're hearing a presentation about foster care. We're going to sign up to do things after church to help out kids who are in need of foster care and the families that take care of them. It's going to make us look really good around Rock Hill. Right? That happens all the time. Like with Trunk or Treat last Sunday, it's wonderful to give out candy and just be there for people and kids just because. It's also really easy to start thinking, oh yeah, we did a trunk or treat that had 500 kids. We're pretty great for even kids, like giving up most of their trick-or-treating on Halloween to come here and give kids and families joy of their own. It's easy to take God's law and make it all about ourselves. But Jesus he shows us a whole, a whole different vision in this parable. He shows us, instead, pure, selfless love with no strings attached. And Jesus, he didn't just talk about it. He didn't just show it to us in his life and be an example for us. We're headed back to the beginning of the sermon now. He did it for us in our place. Because what's the story of the whole Bible? The whole Bible centers on the fact that not just one person, but all of humanity is dead on the side of the road. And Jesus should not have come down from heaven because all the people on earth did not like him. We did not like him naturally. He shouldn't have come down. He, he put himself in danger. He shouldn't have gone down the road to Jericho, so to speak. He certainly shouldn't have stopped on the side of the road and risked his life. Oh, wait. He did more than risk his life. He, didn't, he shouldn't have paid two denarii to take care of us for a while until he came back. Oh, wait. He didn't. He paid with his own blood, to take care of us forever and ever. And when Jesus stopped to dress our wounds on the side of the road, he didn't just dress our wounds and put bandages on them. He took our wounds and he gave us his perfectly spiritually healthy self. He took our sin, gave us his righteousness. He took our position as enemies of God and he made us God's children. He is the true good Samaritan. That's the story of the entire Bible, and this story, he didn't just show us what love looks like. He loved everyone, all of his neighbors, perfectly for us in our place. So now, now you don't need to show selfless, pure love to other people so that you look good or feel good. You can just live a life for others because you've already been filled up by the love of Jesus. Jesus tells us at the end of his parable, now that we've seen his love, he says, go and do likewise. Not because it makes you look good or does anything good for you, but do it because Jesus has done everything good for you. Let your life be a life lived for others just like Jesus' life was a life lived for others, you and me. Amen.